welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is February 20th, and we're going to start our look through the book of Exodus now, starting today with Exodus 1. Now, just as a reminder, every day I offer a brief explanation of the chapter of the day. So that's Exodus 1 today. And then I go over key ideas, themes, and theology very briefly. Because my goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get into our reading today from Exodus 1. Exodus 1 says this, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came into Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. And then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. And now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he came and said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pythion and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the burstal, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. And so God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Well, this is our reading today from Exodus chapter 1. So in Exodus 1, 1 through 18, 27, this is a section of Exodus where we're going to discover and see the Exodus of Israel from Egypt. The entirety of the first half of the book of Exodus is focused on the Exodus of the people of Israel out of Egypt. So we're going to see the setting in Exodus 1, 1 through 2, 25, the leadership in Exodus 3, 1 through 6, 30, signs in Exodus 7, 1 through Exodus 15, 21, and the journey in Exodus 15, 22 through Exodus 18, 27. 
So in Exodus 1, 1 through 7, we see the sons of Jacob become the people of Israel. Now this section, what it's doing is linking the events of Joseph's life that we have talked about extensively, bringing Jacob and all of his brothers to Egypt and the death of that generation with their descendants living in Egypt. Now in verse 1 of our chapter today, the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. So these two names are used to refer to the same person, Israel and Jacob. Now the dual reference, it reminds the readers of the previous narrative in Genesis where God declared that Jacob would be called Israel in Genesis 32:28 and Genesis 35:10, And it even connects the narrative of Exodus with the promise that God would be faithful to the covenant that he made with Abraham and reaffirm with Jacob in Genesis 35:11 through 12. God's faithfulness to remember and even fulfill his covenant promise is a central theme in the book of Exodus, as we're going to discover in Exodus 2.24, in Exodus 3.6-8, in Exodus 3.15-17, in Exodus 4.5, in Exodus 6.2-8, in Exodus 32.13. Now, in Exodus 1, 2 through 4, what we discover is the names of the sons of Jacob, aside from Joseph, are given in the order of their birth with respect to those who were born to them. For example, Leah, Rachel, Bill, and Zilpha. The, the same list of names with the addition of Joseph is found in Genesis 35, 23 through 26, with the name of the mother listed before her sons. Now, in Exodus 1, 5, we see 70 persons. And, and on the relationship between this number and the 75 is given in Stephen's speech in Acts 7.14. Exodus 1.7, the Hebrew phrase translated here, the people of Israel, is the same phrase rendered as sons of Israel in verse 1 of Exodus 1. And since the narrative has just referred to the death of Joseph and to all of his generations in verse 6 of this chapter, the focus is shifting here from the specific uh, 12 sons of Jacob to their offspring who have become the people of Israel. Now, the vocabulary used here to describe their growth, they were fruitful, they multiplied, and the land was filled with them. It parallels that of the command of God to mankind at creation in Genesis 1.28, as well as his later reiteration to Jacob in Genesis 35.11. Now, in Exodus uh, 1.8 through 2.25, we see a new pharaoh. This opens a new section here. The coming to power in Exodus 1.8 and the death in Exodus 2.23 of a new king in Egypt, it frames this section. And this section is going to describe for us how the peaceful existence of Jacob's family in Egypt turned into one of oppression through enslavement in Exodus 1.8 through 22, and how these circumstances became the context in which God preserved the life of Moses in Exodus 2. Now, in Exodus 1, the reference to a new leader in Egypt who did not know Joseph presumed that the reader is familiar with the, the narrative of Joseph's entry, the problems, the rise to power in Egypt in Genesis 37 through 50. Well, in, in verse 11 of our chapter today, we see the description of the taskmasters who were put in place to afflict Israel. It echoes the vocabulary of God's covenant with Abraham in which he foretold that his offspring would sojourn in a foreign land and even be afflicted for 400 years in Genesis 15:13. Now, it's commonly accepted today that the site of Ramses is located at Quintar in the eastern Nile Delta, about 12 miles south of Tanis. 
Excavations have even confirmed this identification. And during the second millennium BC, a massive settlement of Asiatic foreigners lived here. And in addition, a factory has been discovered on the site. It produced decorated glazed tiles. Pottery fragments found in the factory bear the name Ramses. Pit home is probably located at Tel El Ratab, about 17 miles southeast of Ramses. Now, in verses 15 through 23, we see that the Hebrew midwives in verse 15, they show that through their defiant action, they feared God in verses 17 and 22 more than they feared the king in verse 17. And so for the narrator, Moses, to say this twice, it shows that he is commending their faith. The narrative names so few people, not even naming the pharaohs, that is probably a further display of the narrator, Moses' approval of the woman's deeds that he gives their name, Shipra and Pua, in verse 15, a detail unnecessary for describing the events themselves. Now, the faithfulness of the midwives is also an indication that there were among the people of Israel who feared God after all the years of enslavements and before there was any knowledge of God's call to Moses. The exemplary actions of the midwives, it signifies a central theme of this book of Exodus. Israel is called to fear God above any other ruler, any other nation, or any other circumstance. Exodus 1.16, and the use of the term son in verses 16 and 22 is a theme in this section that we're going to look at in Exodus 1 through 15. In an attempt to prevent future rebellion, the king of Egypt here calls for all the male children of Israel to be killed at birth. And when God's instructions to Moses about what he will say to Pharaoh, he refers to Israel as his firstborn son in Exodus 4.22 and even warns that the refusal to listen is going to lead to the death of Egypt firstborn in Exodus 4.23, which is going to come about in the ten plagues in Exodus 12.29-30. Now, in verse 19 of our chapter, when challenged as to why they did not carry out the Pharaoh's decree, the midwives gave an answer that some have called deceptive. It is uncertain that the reply is strictly speaking untrue, nor is it unclear whether this is a call that all the women said. Well, the narrator simply commends the woman for refusing to comply with Pharaoh's murderous scheme. Now, some would argue that with such an evil plan, Pharaoh had forfeited any right to expect obedience or even the complete truthfulness from his subjects. Exodus is simply reporting these events without giving any moral evaluation, its chief purpose being to help its readers rejoice that God had wonderfully preserved his people from Pharaoh. Now, in verse 22, Pharaoh chooses to let every daughter live because it is primarily worried about the threat of Israel's son joining him with the foreign army against Egypt in verse 10. And yet it is the faithfulness of some of Israel's daughters who in the following narrative, Moses' mother and sister in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, they are part of the means by which God will eventually bring his people out of slavery. And so it's ironic that Pharaoh's own daughter is also one who acts to preserve the life of Moses, through whom God will bring Israel out of Egypt. Now, what we see here in this chapter is Israel came into possession of the promised land after being rescued from Egypt. And so it's no shock that Egypt plays even a large, even a symbolic role in the history of redemption. 
At first, Egypt was mostly a benefactor to the physical descendants of Abraham, providing, for example, food and shelter for Jacob and his sons during a famine in the ancient world, as we've seen in Genesis 46 and Genesis 47. And yet, Egypt's kindness would not endure forever, as the ancient Egyptian empire would become of, it, it won't become, I mean, one of Israel's greatest foes. Now, the emergence of Egypt as an enemy of Israel probably occurred somewhere around 230 years after the death of Joseph under the reign of Pharaoh Amosisus, who many scholars identify as a new king in Exodus 1.8. This pharaoh expelled the Semitic peoples known as the Hyksos from Egypt, which indicates he would have no sympathy for other Semitic like the Israel, Semitic people like the Israelites. In any case, that, that Pharaoh mentioned in our chapter today expressed fear the Israelites would become too numerous and even join with Egypt's enemies at the moment's notice in order to escape Egypt in verses 9 and 10 of our chapter today. Now, Pharaoh's concerns help confirm the, the historical accuracy of Exodus. Goshen, the area in which the Israelites settled, according to Genesis 47:27, was traditionally an excellent place for invaders from the Sinai Peninsula to gain a foothold in Egypt. And so Pharaoh's appeal to the people to fear Israel tapped into this reality. And at any rate, the Egyptians may have remembered Jacob's funeral and how it showed Israel's longing to be elsewhere in Genesis 51 through 14. And it, and it needs to be noted how much of the Pharaoh's blustering was propaganda, as the Israelites had shown no desire to act violently against the empire. Now, one commentator notes that God's covenant blessings on believers often provoked non-believers to jealousy. And this is apparently what happened with the Pharaoh, as, as there was no apparent reason why he should have hated the Israelites. Consequently, he oppressed Israel with slavery in an attempt to slow the nation's growth in Exodus 1.11. And yet, as often has happened in world history, the persecution of the Lord's people had the exact opposite effect. For, for the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied, as we see in Exodus 1, 12-14. And this should have been the first sign to the Egyptian rulers that their animosity against Israel would never achieve its desired ends. Now, Pharaoh's oppression of Israel did not take God by surprise, according to Genesis 15, 12-16. And so, we should understand that the trials we encounter do not take him by surprise either. The blessings of the Lord upon us may provoke others to jealousy and even to a kind of persecution. But as he did with Egypt in Exodus 14.4, God will use such trouble to bring himself glory and honor and praise to himself. And so even the most minor trials we face are opportunities for our uh, creator to be glorified. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is February 20th, and we've looked at Exodus chapter 1. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.